0: Uh, if you are following along from one of the Bibles in the back, we're on page 1036. We're uh, finished, Not we're not finishing up. We're continuing our uh, series that we've been in in the book of Revelation, called Hope Rising the book of revelation and uh, the series called hope rising and it really is about that uh, you know this it was funny how often the word hope came up yesterday in the conference that, you know that was about human trafficking and and it just i don't know as i sat there and every time that word it was just it was just the theme of the day hope hope it just kept coming up and i sat there thinking you know that's that's what this is all about that's what you know this what this whole gospel thing is all about that's what the whole church movement is all about that's what we as living hopers are all about. We're all about sharing the hope of God's good news with a with world that's in desperate need of good news. Amen. And and so so this is where we are. And and I was as I was, I <laughs> there was about how long it was nine or ten years ago. I was a youth pastor at a different church, and uh, we had it was when uh, American Idol was still fairly new, and we had an American Idol finale watch party with the, with the kids and um, it was the year, I think, that Carrie Underwood won. And so uh, most of the kids were really, really into it and just excited about the finale. And something happened that night where um, there was either some bad weather or something like that, but they had broken into the the, uh, broadcast of that finale show. And so as we were... Watching the finale, this is what literally happened. We'd been into it all night long, and everybody's excited. We're getting down to Carrie versus whoever Carrie was against. And uh, it was a bow that year, is that right? With Carrie and bow? Anyway, uh, I'm such a nerd. And um, so, anyway, so getting down to that finale, and, and it literally went like this Ryan Seacrest, and the winner is <sighs> recording stopped. And we were all like, "No! <laughs> what in the world?" And we're everybody's texting and who won, who won, who won? You know, and it was just this, it was like the most d- disappointing uh, youth event I've ever done in my life. Just to turn like the the just the air went out of the room when we missed that uh, announcement. And and this is what I've come to realize about the Book of Revelation. For those of us who have lived our life in fear of the Book of Revelation, you are literally living your life exactly like that. That this book culminates the greatest story ever known to humankind, the story of humankind. It is the grand finale. It is everything that the rest of the book points towards. And when you have walked away from that book in fear and like, I don't know what it means and all that kind of stuff, you're missing all the hope that's in our faith. You're missing all the hope that's right there. Yeah, I mean, you read the gospels and you get the story of Jesus and 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 the crucifixion and the hope of having our sins forgiven and all that kind of stuff. That's all good and that's all great. But this is like that's only the beginning of our journey. You guys do realize that when you make a decision to follow Christ, that's not the end. That's not the goal. Like like when the angels in heaven celebrate Uh, Over that decision, as as the Bible tells us that that happens, there's there's basically a party in heaven every time a soul crosses that line into faith, when that celebration is taking place, it's not a victory celebration in terms of, yeah, they made it to the end. It's a baby shower. It's a baby shower. It, it's, it's, oh, thank God they're here. Thank God they're starting. And it's all about the start. That's what the Gospels are all about. It's all about the beginning. It's all about the start. The book of Revelation tells us all the hope and everything that we're aiming towards. That we're aiming towards. And if you have have intentionally kind of, like, like me at times in my life, kind of backed away from that because it's too hard to understand or whatever else, you're missing out on. So much, and so I, what I hope you get out of this series, you know among other things, is that sense of hope, that sense of this is why revelation tells us why it 's important for us to persevere in our faith, not just start faith but finish well, like who here starts things but doesn 't always finish them well, anybody? Yeah. Like all of us, we're living hopers, right? So, so yeah. So, um, yeah, that I'm that, I'm that guy too. I, I get excited and I want to start something and then I get into it. Like I went through this phase where I was watching, there used to be a show on discovery. It was three or four seasons where every season there was a new expedition going to the top of uh, Mount. Um, what's the big one? Everest. <laughs> what's the big one? Um, Everest. And I loved that show. And Jamie and I would be watching and be like, I'd say, I want to do that. Like, I, I think I could do that. And she was like, You would die, don't do that, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and but, but so I would think that. And so, but then whenever I go hiking, like I, I did a just a hellacious hike in Yosemite last time I was there that just about killed me. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, you're so dumb. You could never do Everest. You can't even do this. And you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it's like, I, I live, I love the idea of obsessing about something, starting something. And then, and then the finishing part is always a mystery, whether or not that's going to happen with me. Right. Uh, But this is the thing I know about my faith. I don't want that to be the story of my faith. I want, I need to finish well. And we all do. Right. All of us do every single one of us. So, in the interest of, of honesty, um, as a pastor, I know I'm supposed to love God's word. And I do, um, except for one book. Uh, I hate Leviticus. Does anybody else hate Leviticus? <laughs> hate Leviticus. Like I, is it, is it a sin to say I hate Leviticus? It probably is. Um, like I, I, I'm not a fan of Leviticus. I, I, I've been kind of, I started a new reading plan a few months ago and a week or so ago, I went through uh, Leviticus, and it's just, it's brutal. Now, if you're new to the faith, and you've never read Leviticus. It's a, no, no, It's a, read it, read it, read it in the same way you should read your instruction manual to something at least once, right? Uh, no, it's, it's it's There's some important stuff there that that's, that's, that that really is. If you can have somebody guide you through what's actually going through. Um, but it's difficult and it's all law. It's all, I mean, that's what the word Leviticus basically means is law. It's, 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 it's the handing down of, of God's law to his people. And the problem that I have with it, it's, and this is my problem, this is not God's problem. God's perfect in every way and his word is good in every way and, and all that kind of stuff. This is Jeff's issue, okay? The problem I have with it is that when I read it, I, I, I'll come across a weird law and, I'm, and at the end of it, I'm just like, Really? really that's such a big deal we had to put that down and i got to explain that away to people and all that you know that kind of stuff and, and 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 i'm just reading through it and just weird stuff you know like all the all the things about how you have to be ceremonially clean to enter into the you know the at the time it was the tabernacle uh and and all this and, and there's so much that can make you ceremonial unclean that we just like if, if we were practicing, I would have to block the door for every single one of you this morning, right? Like, like you were all unclean, un- unclean, unclean. And, and, um, and so it's that, it's, it's just, it's just it seems like very, very small stuff. And, and a lot of times I'm reading that going, ah, it's so it's just so weird. It's just so odd. And, and I mean, it's like, it's not even, it's not even our definition of perfection. It's a definition of perfection that is so high that no human can attain it. And it just seems at times pointless as I'm reading through. this. like, why? Why was this given? And then, and then I had this moment um, a few days ago where I don't know. I just had this revelation about and I've known this 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 beginning part of it for for a long time. But you know, the reason that God gave us the law was to show us that we could not live by the law. That's the reason God gave us the law. It the bar is set incredibly high because the bar is not set for the best of us. The bar is set for God, and none of us, none of us can reach that bar. Can I have you guys help me for a second? You two, Come here. I'm going to embarrass you for just, I'm not going to embarrass you hard. I promise. I won't embarrass you. Come here. I'm going to have you jump for me. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. here. It's a jumping competition. So, all right. I want you to jump up and touch the moon, please. Go ahead. Okay. You can do better than that. That was like halfway. I know. Oh, oh, oh that's pretty good. That was, that was about, about there. Okay, go ahead. All right, come up. Now, I want you to jump up and touch him. He was about here. All right, can you get it higher than that? Go ahead. Ooh, it's pretty close. Pretty close. I don't know. I don't know who edged who out, but it was very, very close. Go ahead. Have a seat. Have a seat. So. All of us, if we're jumping up and trying to touch the moon, that's about where most of us are. You know, the best of us might be up here somewhere. You know, if you do those things where you jump on those blocks, you might get it up to here somewhere, you know, whatever. Uh, but but none of us, it would be like, it would, like, if I could jump up to, say, here, which I can't, uh, but if I could. And, and and I would be like, I am so much closer to the moon than these losers, Right so much closer to the moon and the reality is we're both you know thousands and thousands and thousands of miles from the moon where none of us are even close and that's what it is for us to try to to try to attain (coughs) the perfection of God's law we cannot do it you might be good compared to the rest of the the you know living hopers again low bar right it but compared to God and his perfection, you're still millions of miles away. Millions of miles away. And it's all, it's, it's, the whole purpose of the law is to show us that we can't live by the law. But I had this kind of aha moment the other day where I think this is what was actually happened with, with Israel. <clears throat> Not only did God give them the law to, um, to to show that they couldn't meet the standard of the law, I think God gave them the law as... This kind of um, beginning of bringing about his kingdom to the earth. In other words, Israel was always the kind of place where where God met man. He did that through Israel in the Old Testament. They were his chosen people. They, They were called to be his light to the world, right? They were called to share the goodness of God with the whole world. And I think maybe the concept of all the law and all the the high standards and all the prescriptions for worship and everything that we find in those, those Old Testament books, I think the concept is this. If you could do this, if you as my people could live by this, then you could be this little pocket of the kingdom of God right here on earth. But the sad part of that news was they couldn't do it. They couldn't pull it off. They couldn't even come close. They failed miserably. I mean, they, and he, and he, I mean, for us, you know, uh, you know with 3,000 years of hindsight, we can look back and go, they just saw him park the sea and walk across on dry land. You would think they'd be in it for life. And then just, you know, a handful of weeks later, they're, they're worshiping a golden cow. It's like, really? They, they couldn't even get close to it. And before you think, well, God should have had Americans back there. We would have done it. Um, no, no, you wouldn't have. None of us, I mean, that's just the state of all of humanity. None of us could get close to what God needed to bring his kingdom, to usher in his kingdom, his restored, his perfect kingdom into this world. And it took Jesus to do that. And he still did it through Israel because Jesus was of Israel. He still fulfills that covenant uh, with Abraham through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lives, the, he becomes. Israel, in the place of Israel, living that perfect life that they could not live, becoming that perfect sacrifice that they could not be for their sins, he's able to accomplish all of it, all through that one man. And so what we see then is Jesus is the beginning of that new kingdom work. And what we're going to read in the next two chapters is the final judgment that um, is the completion of that work. Jesus' work on the cross and Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of u- ushering in that God's kingdom, that resurrection kingdom into this world. And it's the final judgment that we're going to read about today that is the completion of that work that brings into the, the kingdom into this world in its fullness. Now, the problem with that concept is uh, just like I hate... Leviticus, we all hate judgment. And it's not that we have a problem with God. It's that we have a problem with us. It's not that God is wrong about judgment. It's that we're wrong about God. And so as we try to sort out all of this stuff, because here's the deal, we're going to read some stuff and it just sounds today. It sounds, uh, it sounds very judgy. And we're, you know, we're enlightened Americans and we don't like judging. And who are you to judge me? You can't judge me. You know, all that kind of stuff. We don't like being judged. We don't like to feel like we're in the place of, of to be somebody else's judge and all that kind of stuff. And we wish that we served a God that wasn't all about judgment because that would be so much. I mean, if it was just all, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy, and just coming to the peace of God and, you know, la, 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 and there's pizza for everyone, you know, whatever. If it was just something like that, then then it, wow, that would be such so much easier to sell, wouldn't it? But instead, what God gives us is what we need instead of what we actually want, as a good father does. He gives us what we need instead of what we actually want. So let's take a look at this passage. Uh, like I said, it's 10, page ten thirty six. If you're using one of the Bibles from the back, so we've we've seen so far in Revelation, we've seen seven letters, or yeah, seven letters to seven churches. We've seen uh, the seven seals of God's scroll opened at at one point. We saw seven trumpets of warning that were issued. uh, And now we see the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. All right. (coughs) So here we are. Revelation chapter 15. It says this. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last... For with them, the wrath of God is finished. Okay, so what's being described here is that, you know, that that this is how God is going to culminate this whole thing. And it's going to come through judgment. It's going to come through wrath. His kingdom was started through the cross. It's going to, it's going to be completed and finally fully, completely ushered in through judgment. All right, and it says this, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the numbers of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing... Now, we talked a lot about the beast last week. I'm not going to rehash that this week. Go back and listen to it. Uh, there's There's a lot of explanation there. And they sing the song of Moses. That's important. We're going to come back to that in a second. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. All nations will come and worship you. That's important, too. We're going to come back to that. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven... Was open. Now this is kind of throwback uh, to the tabernacle and temple system that, that the, the Israelite people had, where uh, in the middle of at, at, you know in, before the temple, it was a tabernacle. it was kind of a temporary tent that could be moved around, but there was this kind of inner sanctuary part where the, where the presence of God w- w- was said to dwell. And the same thing in the temples that were built, there was an inner chamber part that, that only the high priest could get to that the presence of God was said to dwell. Um, and it says here he says that the sanctuary of the tent it was opened this is the the, the tent that's in heaven the temple so to speak that's in heaven it was open and out of that sanctuary came the seven angels with their seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests and one of the four living creatures we we were introduced to the four living creatures back in chapter four you can go uh, uh listen to that one too One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, I want to talk about the little bit of worship that takes place in the middle of what's going on here before we move on to the next chapter, where he says, uh, you know, that they, he sees them, they're singing the song of Moses. So much of Revelation ties back to the book of Exodus, There's so much in the book of Revelation that that kind of flashes back to what happened in Exodus, where God delivered his people out of slavery, delivered them out of bondage, and he used plagues to to not only punish those who were enslaving them, but to deliver the ones who needed to be delivered. And he uses that whole system. and, and, And so the Exodus story is all up in this, and we're going to see even more of it. A lot of the, when they pour out the bowls of wrath, they're very reminiscent of the ten plagues, as we talked about a week or two ago. Um, and so, so that's what, kind of what's happening there. But then the, the, the last stanza of that little bit of worship that takes place where he says, For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I don't want to gloss over this because it, it's, it's one of those lines that you, you would be very tempted to just kind of move past. But I think it, it's really the key of what's going on here. That a big part of God's new kingdom is going to be this sense of international unity. That God has a desire not just to work through one nation, but to be the God of all nations. To be the God of all nations. The point I want to draw out is this. All nations will worship as one kingdom because of God's justice. All nations will worship as one kingdom because of God's justice. Now, when we talk about justice, justice is one of those words that we like to hear about it. We like to watch shows where justice is executed, you know, that sort of thing. We, we, we like we to think, and the, the, the concept of justice is a good concept, right? The problem with justice is that you have to be careful how badly you cry out for justice because if justice really happens, none of us come out of that well. Because none, if you really want for everyone to get what they deserve, it, none of us get out of this uh, safely. None of us get out of it safely, because all of us deserve. See, what we really want is we want to execute our own sense of justice. That's what we really want. We want to be able to say what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil. We want to be able to to, to define what justice is. The problem is, um, like if 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 you know, my kids have friends, their friends over to the house all the time. And so we, we constantly have kids in our house. And if some, one of my kid's friends enters my house and begins to tell me how to operate my home, that's not going to go well for that kid. Not at all. I don't have any problem at all saying, uh, you know, who do you think you are? Um, it's time for you to leave, come back when you got a better attitude, right? I don't have any problem with that at all. Uh, why? Because that's not his house. It's my house. And in my house, I set the rules for, you know, I, I, I'll tell you how the refrigerator works. I'll tell you where the temperature is going to be set. I'm going to do that with the permission of my wife. I'm going to do all of that stuff, <laughs> right? That's how that works, right? <laughs> and it's the same thing. You can't step into God's universe and tell him how to run his universe because you don't have the authority. That's above your pay grade. That's above your pay grade. If you want to call the shots on how justice looks, go get your own universe. But in the meantime, you're in his universe. and so. But this is the beautiful thing. That may sound harsh, and that's kind of the drill sergeant side of me coming out or whatever. But, but this is the thing about this. That's the way you want it to be, because you would be a horrible God. I would be a horrible God. Like, if, 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 if I create a bunch of people and they rebel against me, as, as a, if I'm the God it doesn't go well for them. I'm just squashing them and making more, right? That's how I would run my universe. But God is so much better than that, so much better than that. And while he has this high sense of justice, he also has this equally high and and, and tied together high sense of mercy and high sense of love. And you might look at the the justice that God, uh, you know, kind of pours out and the wrath that God is going to pour out on the earth. And you might look at that as unfair. And I would challenge that and say, God has been more than patient. He is more than good. He's more than fair. We'll we'll, we'll get there in a second. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. But with that whole idea of, Part of this new kingdom is going to be all of the nations coming together to be one nation under God, literally. One nation. That's not a shout out to America. That's just a shout out to God. One nation under God, literally. And yet, I feel like we're still a long ways from that vision. Because I think part of the role of the church here on earth is to... The work that we do, the reason we did the Awareness Conference yesterday, the reason we do other things that we do, the work that we do in this community and around the world, the whole purpose is not just because we see something and it breaks our heart and we go, um, you know, we should have a conference or we should do something. The whole purpose of what we do in the world through and for God is because God has... um, has, has set us loose in this world to begin the process of bringing his kingdom into this world, and if a major part of that kingdom is us for is, is for us to be unified across cultures, then we have a lot of work to do it 's been said over and over and over again the most segregated hour in America on any given week is the worship hour on sunday morning it 's very hard to find Racially integrated churches. People tend to worship together according to their races and that sort of thing. And so you have very segregated congregations, um, not within the congregation so much, but but just you know congregations that are, look very much alike, uh, like one, like you know, like themselves. Um, I feel like Living Hope, uh, we do a pretty good job of that. We still have a long ways to go. We still have a long ways to go. When we do missions, it's not just because. Missions is cool. When we do missions, it's because we're trying to bring this world together under one God. When we reach out in this community, it's not because we hope you know we get a, a shout out on the evening news or anything like that. When we reach out in this community, it's because we're trying to bring everyone, regardless of what they look like and where they come from, under the banner of one God. That's what we do. That's what we do. So let me just give you a challenge before I move on to this and just say, um, I'm a person that became aware many, many years ago that um, all of us have prejudices that we have to deal with, every single one of us. You, 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 I don't care how enlightened you think you are, what neighborhood you grew up in, you know, what school you went to, whatever. Every single one of us have prejudices that we have to kind of weed out. And then what I've also learned over the year is that you can't weed it once and then forget it. It has to be constantly weeded out because the, the, something that evil can has a nasty way of kind of creeping back up in us. And so let me challenge you, to one, to help us as a church to reach out to all cultures so we can bring all cultures under the banner of one God. And then let me challenge you individually to do some of that work yourself, to reach across uh, cultural divides that are uncomfortable for you. I'm not not talking about signing up for the next mission trip or anything like that. I'm talking about right here in Dixon. We live in a mission field. We live in a mission field. And so reach out across cultures and and begin to create relationships. Even I would call them, and maybe some of you would view this as a nasty term, but I don't. Uh, I would say even strategic, gospel strategic relationships. And when I say that, I mean uh, everybody that I form a relationship is a strategic gospel relationship. Why? Because I want everyone in this community to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm constantly looking at opportunities to share my faith with people. Now, that doesn't mean I look at people's projects. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means I get excited when I meet someone new that's far from God because I'm going to have an opportunity to potentially share with them the news that they've been waiting to hear. And so begin to kind of stretch yourself across cultural barriers and and, and make this a reality, make this part, you know, again, if our job is to usher in God's kingdom into this world, to help God in that process, because I believe the work we do here now has eternal implications, eternal implications. So if our job is to usher in this part of God's kingdom this way, then let's get busy doing that. Let's not neglect that. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, chapter 16. This is the last chapter. I'm going to read it all. I know, I feel the same way. All right. Then it goes this. It says, Then I heard a uh, loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Okay, here we go. These bowls are getting ready to be poured out. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth... And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. Okay? So the first angel pours out his bowl on the, on the earth. The earth somehow then produces uh, some sort of sickness or boils or sores or whatever. And, and judgment comes about that way. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in its sea. So the, the, the bowl of God's wrath is poured out into the sea. The sea then produces this this thing where where wrath is revealed and and, and that, ta- that takes place. Um, the third angel poured out his bowls his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just as just are, sorry, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. True and just. Can, can, can we do something just right now? Uh, even if you don't feel it, uh, sometimes I, you have to kind of step out in faith uh, and, and make certain proclamations uh, and, and in that step of faith, God gives you the feeling that you're, you're hoping you have. Would you just say that line with me? And just as, 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 even as a measure of faith to just, uh, just say true and just are your judgments. Would you say that with me? True and just are your judgments. True and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. So the fourth angel pours his his bowl of wrath onto the sun. And then the sun carries forth that judgment by scorching people. And they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. That's important. We're going to come back to that in a second, but let me stop here and just kind of highlight these first four bowls that have been poured out. So we have, we have the uh, the, the bowl being poured onto the earth and the earth bringing forth a, some form of God's judgment. We have a bowl being poured onto the sea and the sea bringing forth some form of God's judgment. We have the, the, a bowl being poured onto the rivers and the springs of water and then they bring forth some sorts of some form of God's judgment. And then the fourth bowl is poured out onto the sun and it brings forth some form of God's judgment. And it's almost as if God is utilizing all creation itself whom not only have we as wicked human people sinned against God, we have sinned against his beautiful creation. We have sinned against and abused his beautiful... And this is not some sort of Greenpeace talk or anything like that. It's not what I'm doing here. I'm just, I'm just going through scripture, okay? It has nothing to do with politically whatever. It is just a matter of fact that we have not cared for God's creation the way he told us to way back in Genesis. Instead, when he said have dominion over creation, he did not say, "yeehaw, do with it whatever you want to. That's not what it was. That's not, he didn't say go out and destroy it and use it for whatever you need. Dominion, the the term there is really more about care for. We're to be caretakers of God's creation. And it's almost as if in, in these first four bowls that God says, this creation that you have not cared for well, that you have... Um, uh, um, exploited and, and taken advantage of and abused this beautiful gift that I gave to you. I'm going to turn now that creation into kind of back on you and, and, and utilize it in the judgment that I'm pronouncing to you and the wrath that I'm pouring out on you. And all this stuff happens where it seems like all creation is turning on them and they still don't repent. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast We talked about the the beast last week being just kind of uh, powers that rise up, um, you know, from time to time all throughout history that want to crush uh, the movement of God. He poured out his, his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And they did not repent. Once again, they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And as its water was dried up to prepare the way for kings from the east, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the dragon we talked about last week was, is a symbol for the enemy, Satan. Out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. This is the first time that the, uh, the second beast, the smaller beast, is, is, is identified as, as some, someone that they call the false prophet. Three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now, th- what's happening here is that basically, you know, th- th- this would have been uh, kind of an easily recognizable, recognizable symbol to John's original uh, uh, readers of this of this letter, of this um, revelation, where th- th- basically as he dries up the, the Euphrates, it allows kings and, and armies from other nations, a clear path to come down to this place of battle is what's happening here. And it's basically what it's saying is that uh, it, when the end happens and the judgment of God is finally coming and all that kind of stuff, all those people who have not sided with God will do their best to rise up against God and curse Him, will do ba- their best to do battle with Him, that sort of thing. Now, if you're looking for a, sp- a, a physical war, a physical battle. I don't know if that's coming or not. I think it's it's a very good possibility that this is still very symbolic of just how the people will rise up against God in kind of one last ditch effort to say, we don't need you. We don't need you. Let us go our own way, whatever. But regardless of how you look at that, whether it's a physical war that's going to happen or something more symbolic, people will rise up against God. They are digging in their hills. I, after all this wrath comes, after all this judgment comes, they're still not repenting. They still don't think they need God. You know, there's so many times that we have this thought that if God would just do this, then so many people would repent. And I'm here to tell you that's just not true. It's not true. That there are, some, there are so many people in this world that are just so rebellious. It's like they don't believe in God and they're mad at him too. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe in him, but I'm mad at him. And and they're just going to dig in their heels so hard because they don't need a God in their life. They certainly don't need his, you know, him to tell them how to live. And they want to be the master of their own universe. And they want to do that kind of stuff. And, and it's just, they're just going to dig in their heels. Now here it goes. It says, um, a little, uh, parenthetical statement here. John gives an aside to us. I think that's what happened. He says, behold, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And I think this is John's way of saying to all of us, you think you're nice and safe and you think everything's just fine. You don't have anything to worry about judgment or anything like that. And just as John's saying, don't fool yourselves, stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't feel like you can just kind of phone in your faith or do whatever you want to. Stay awake. It's very, very important. Stay close to God. Stay alert. Stay awake. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, here's one of those uh, loaded words that Revelation is full of. Armageddon has come to mean all kinds of things in our culture, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, You know, some great battle, some, you know... Catastrophic event, whatever it might be. Uh, Bruce Willis, I think, saves the day in Armageddon, so that's good news. Um, uh, You know, whatever. But so it's just become this whole loaded word, right? And and let me tell you what's happening with this word Armageddon. It's not anything. Armageddon is uh, this Hebrew word, it's a literal place over in the Middle East. It's a battleground near the city of Megiddo. Megiddo is what it's called. It's just this great plain where there were many historic battles that took place on, on this plate. I don't know. Has anybody ever visited uh, Gettysburg? Anybody ever been to Gettysburg? Love Gettysburg. Uh, it's one of my favorite places on in our entire country. I love going to Gettysburg, touring that area. I'm a big Civil War buff and everything. But I, the, my first trip uh, to Gettysburg, I remember getting up to, if, if you know the story of how the battle unfolded at Gettysburg, one of the, the critical uh, battles, uh, little skirmishes that took place there at Gettysburg was the Battle of Little Round Top, and you get to the top of Little Round Top, and I remember standing there at that, and 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 I could see, it was like this moment, I could see the Confederate soldiers coming up at me. I could see the battle, and I remember I was with a friend, and I said, it's the first place I've ever been to that I felt like this ground was created for battle. It just had that feeling, right? And I think that's kind of what's happening here. Like, we might refer, to, uh, refer back to old battles and go, you know, this situation is going to be a Gettysburg all over again. It's going to be a Normandy all over again. You know, because these great battles that, we, that, that conjure up emotions, it's like Pearl Harbor all over again. And I think that's kind of what, what John is doing here. It's not that he's saying a literal battle is going to take place on this ground. I think he's saying you know the epic battles that that have been passed down in story from generation to generation to generation. It's going to be like that, and it's going to be even worse. It's going to be like that. This is going to be a big one, all right? Again, if we're talking literal battle, literal literal war, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll leave that for you to uh, figure out yourself. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple. So he pours out his bowl into the air, and then this loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as had never been seen, uh, never had been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. We're not going to talk a lot about Babylon this week because it comes up real heavy next week. We'll talk about it more then. Um, and so in every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe and that's where we're ending today. Amen. Go in peace. Right? All right. So this, this is what's going on here. Uh, God pours out his judgment that, that last bowl that gets poured out where it's poured into the air and, and the peals of thunder and flashes of lightning, as we've talked about all through this book, that's kind of, when it, that happens whenever God's presence is, is there, right? The, the lightning and the thunder and the earthquakes, that means God's here. God's presence is here. So the kind of final judgment is just the presence of God himself. He kind of steps into the sphere of what's going on, and just his presence is what it takes to finally end all of this. Just his presence of what it takes to finally end all of this now, when we hear all these these talks about justice and, and wrath and you know plagues and everything else, I mean if you 're like me, you look at that like I kind kind of like I said I look at Leviticus earlier where it 's just like really does it have to be all of that? It would be so much easier for me to preach a thing where there 's just no wrath and it 's just you know whatever, and just come find your enlightenment and Jesus and you know whatever. Uh, just you know, just achieve a new level of whatever. You know, like that seems. Less, like I could feel good every single day if I just taught people how to just be awesome, right? But that's just not. That's not God's universe. And as badly as I might want that, again, that problem is not with God. That problem is with me and my view of God. There's a, a theologian by the name of Niebuhr. And uh, he wrote this. He said uh, that we'd prefer a version of the gospel that would state something like this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the work of a Christ, a, a cross, <laughs> through the work of a Christ without a cross. Like we would like to just kind of wash away all the rough parts and all the parts that makes us, make us uncomfortable. But when we do that, we rob. I mean, there's really no point in the gospel anymore, is there? There's really no point in the gospel anymore. For us, as human beings, we tend to think that the thing that sets us apart from all other beings is that we have a higher sense of love. We have a higher sense of justice. And that's what sets us apart from all the, other, all the rest of creation, all the rest of this universe and what we need to realize is this and this is a hard statement and I'll try to explain it human love and justice is sinful human love now you think that's the best parts of us like why 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 is it sinful for us to love i'm going to stay with me but human love and justice is sinful because at the end of the day our definition of love is like these guys trying to jump up and touch the moon. And your very best version of love for the very best person that you love the most, if you got a family of six kids, it's that one kid that you really love, right? I'm just <laughs> your, your best love for, for 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 the person that you love the most is still in comparison to God's love, just like a jump this high trying to jump up and touch the moon. It's sinful. In fact, it's, it's an affront to God. And he, it, it, to call my love for my wife or my kids or for all of you, to even call it by the same word that God defines as love, it's an affront to God. Because His love is so much superior to our version of love. Our sense of justice, we don't really want justice. We just want to pick and choose what makes us feel better. You know, if we're doing justice, then, then you know, we're just kind of executing whoever we feel like needs to be executed. If we're doing justice, we are, uh, you know, letting people off and proclaiming people as innocent, that we want people to be innocent, whatever. If, if we do love and we do justice, that's kind of the way that works out. But the thing is, is that with God, we're God, God's version of justice and God's version of love says, you know, that enemy, the guy that stabbed you in the back? forgive him and love him. That's foreign to us. Foreign to us. You know that person that you think deserves judgment right now? I'm going to be patient. I'm going to hold out hope that something different can happen in this person's life. You know all the wickedness that's taken place in the world from the beginning of time until now that you think surely there's got to be justice. I mean, we've heard stories of the saints crying out for justice in this book. And God says, Be patient. It's coming, I promise. Justice will happen. But there are more people I need to cross into my kingdom. God's version of justice and love is perfect. And our version of justice and love is sinful. That's why we need to step out on faith regularly and say that phrase that we said earlier that true and just are your judgments. True and just are your judgments. We may not fully understand them. We might do it differently if it was our universe. But this is what I know. God's in control and he's got a plan and he is a good God and he's a loving God and he is a merciful God. And yes, he is a just God. And so he will be long suffering for those that he needs to be patient with. And he will be wrathful and just those who have fixed their eyes against him. Justice will happen. Love and mercy will happen. And it will happen in a way that is perfect. So while it's difficult for us to sort it all out and make sense of it, can you just begin to pray this kind of faith-filled prayer that says, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to proclaim that. Let's end and let's uh Let's pray the prayer we've been praying, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word and we even thank you for your justice. And um, we anxiously await the day when you set all things right, when all the evils of this world are uh, put down, when all those that you will um, have rescued are rescued and stand firm in your kingdom. God, give us the ability and the desire to help to usher in your kingdom right here, right now. We love you. And uh, we trust you. And while we don't always understand your ways, because you are so much higher than us, we step out on faith. We step out on faith. And in faith, we pray this, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. True and just are your judgments. God, align our minds and our thinking with yours. I wait. I, I really look forward to the day when I can say that not that statement not in faith but in a very real sense of recognition of exactly who you are true and just are your judgments thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ and judging him in my stead thank you for Um, allowing me to stand behind him as he takes the place of the judgment that should be mine for my sin. You're a good God. You're a loving God. You're a merciful God. Teach us to be the same. Teach us to be the same. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.